Hello, this is the second week of April 2020. And as we all deal with this coronavirus, I'd like to give a shout out and a very much thank you to all the grocery store, shopping clerks, and everyone that's helping with this distribution of food during this time of crisis. We couldn't be here and sustain ourselves if it was not for you. So today's episode is dedicated to each and every one of you. Stay safe. God bless. Warning. The Thin Blue Line podcast, Harry Bosch, contains adult content. Harry and others use profanity, adult language, and discuss adult topics. And so shall we. One more warning. This podcast may contain spoilers. I must stress this for this chapter and your entire podcast. So please proceed with extreme caution. You were going to cover it up, weren't you? Shove it in the trash with her. You see, after everything has happened, she still doesn't count, does she? You don't know what you're talking about. Boss sat up. Now he was angry. Immediately he was hit with vertigo. He closed his eyes until it passed. Well, then won't you tell me what I don't know? Okay, Chief? I heard what you people put out, that there's no connection between Conklin and Mattel. What kind of? You think I'm going to sit here for that? And Vaughn? Not even to mention of him. That fucking mechanic in a splatter suit. He throws Conklin out of the window and he was ready to put me in the dirt. He's the one who did pounds. And he doesn't even rate a mention by you people. So, Chief, why don't you tell me what the fuck I don't know, okay? Bosh, listen to me. Listen to me. Who do you think Mattel worked for? I don't know and I don't care. He was employed by very powerful people. Some of the most powerful people in the state. Some of the most powerful people in the country, and I don't give a shit. Hello, and welcome to the Thin Blue Line Podcast. I'm Philip Parker, a retired police detective with over 29 years of law enforcement experience. Please subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please don't forget to rate us five stars or better. Please follow us on Twitter at the Thin Blue Line Pod and our Facebook and Instagram pages, which are set up just for our fans. Also, join us at www.thethinbluelinepod.com for more investigative content where you will find more detailed experience concerning Harry Bosch and Michael Conley. Now that all that bullshit is out the way, it's time to get back to work and probe into chapters 42 through 45 of The Last Coyote. Last time on the Thin Blue Line podcast, we explore how, before we can see properly, we first must shed our tears to clear the way. Shape chapters 38 through 41 of The Last Coyote. And today, we will take a deep dive into chapters 42 through 45. As always, there's the prerequisite spoiler alert. It's my intention to stay away from spoilers, but sometimes shit happens. So please proceed with caution. And now, the Thin Blue Line podcast Harry Bosch. It's time to open up the murder book and turn the page to the chronological record so we can do an investigative summary on the information gathered thus far in this chapter. Bosch wakes at Mattel's house with his head bleeding, locked in a game room. Before Mattel's enforcer arrives, Bosch pockets a billiard ball and he hopes to use it as a weapon. Mattel tells Bosch that Conklin conveniently jumped out the window of his room just after Bosch left. Mattel asks Bosch why he cares so much about an old murder, and Bosch replies, Everybody counts. 
After Bosch tells that he left his briefcase with the evidence in Conker's room, Mattel nods to Jonathan to finish Bosch off. In an act of desperation, Bosch makes Jonathan miss and hits him with the billiard ball, eventually knocking him out. As Bosch and Jonathan are struggling, Mattel runs off, but Bosch follows. Mattel attempts to ambush Bosch, and then the struggle ensues, which results in Mattel falling off the edge of a cliff. Bosch returns to the home but cannot locate Jonathan. The police arrive, and Bosch is taken to the emergency room. While in the emergency room, Bosch runs down his investigative efforts to Irving, explaining how Mattel murdered Marjorie Lowe to keep Conklin in politics. Before leaving the hospital, Bosch gives an interview with the Times reporter Keisha Russell, outlining his investigation. After leaving the hospital, Bosch conducts a ride by his home, but finds it demolished. And that brings us to this episode's big idea. So let's lift up the yellow tape and examine the clues for the defining theme for chapters 42 through 45 of The Last Coyote is Revenge is a Confession of Pain. Hello, and welcome back to the Thin Blue Line podcast. And, you know, we start this episode off with, you know, one of the things I like about Michael Conley, and I think you guys also, in his, re- in his reading, when you read his stories, I feel he opens up another world of art and artists that I never knew of. And what I always find myself doing is researching and still being an investigator when I read Michael Conley books, just because that's the investigator inside of me. I'm pretty sure I'm not alone with this. And what I mean by that is, you know, we start off this episode and this chapter, chapter 42, with Bosch uh, waking up with his head hurting. And, you know, and so instead of saying, oh, my God, you know, I was just hit over the head and my head hurt. Michael Conley weaves in more emotions and more visual effects. Again, like writing, he is choreographing a movie or something visual to help you contextualize, or at least help me contextualize what Bosch is going through. And I say all that, again, I've been saying that for the last couple of podcasts. But again, instead of saying, oh shit, my head hurt from the book, he says, he pulled himself up into a sitting position and the movements made his interior world slide and melt like a Denali painting. Now, I, I'd never heard of Denali. And so, what did, what did I do is I researched the Denali, or Denali, excuse me. And do you start seeing how different <laughs> Denali was and how much of an influential um, artist he was? And when you see one of his paintings concerning the melting or sliding effect that I posted on the uh, website and, and Facebook, I feel as though he's giving me a culture that I've never even thought about looking at before. And again, we're just in book four and look at all the material and all the other artists he's introduced us to. And Michael Connolly lets us get a sense of the guy who hit Bosch over the head. And one of the things I like is from the book, look, I told you, you didn't say anything about a briefcase. There had to be one. Use your common sense. You say bring the man, I'll bring the man. You want me to go back to the car and look for a briefcase? I mean, just by him saying, I bring the man, I look for, you kind of start getting the sense of this particular person's education. And again, it's very subliminal. It's very subtle. But I like how Michael Connolly at least got me starting to think, okay, who is this guy? And what is he's about? So you hear Mattel says, hey, bring him in here. And I like, 
you know, he comes through the door. Again, you can't misjudge. Don't underestimate because what happens as soon as um, Bosch hears the guy coming through, the, coming back to the door, he kind of puts on a ruse like he's knocked out still. And the guy says, yeah, Bosch, that shit only works in movies. <laughs> you know, your blood's all over the place. And so Bosch had to give it up like, okay, yeah, that was something I was going to try. But again, Bosch then, remember Bosch had found a billiard ball and put that billiard ball in his sleeve as a weapon. And even though Michael Conley gave us a sense of this individual's educational level by his broken English, he's definitely good at what he does. Because the quote-unquote guy John, the hitman, was good at what he did because he kept, he controlled Bosch by keeping him at a distance, letting Bosch know, hey, yeah, you see this gun, you see it's a twenty-two, but I got hollow points in it. And so he's not underestimating Bosch, but he, so, again, his educational level might not be that high, but his hitman abilities are very high. And again, not to belabor the point, but since chapter 21, Michael Connolly has introduced the reader to, again, the three tenets of being a good investigator. One being a sneaky, one bluffing, and then guile. And so we see here, again, he's driving that point home. Bosch is trying to be sneaky with the whole I'm um, sleep routine. Then we see him bluffing. What I mean by bluffing is because, so when Bosch meets up with Mattel and Mattel's starting to run down everything about, you know, who Bosch is and, and his motives from being there, Bosch throws out the name Marjorie Lowe. And Mattel looks surprised. But then he recovers really quickly and he tells Bosch, well, I'm just cleaning up all loose ends. And I started by cleaning up loose ends by killing Conklin and throwing him through the window. Now, talking about over the top, <laughs> but hey, that's the type of criminal you want, especially to be equal to Harry Bosch. And Michael Connolly then refers us back to Harry's mantra. Everybody counts. Mattel says, why? Why, Detective Bosch, did you care about this old case of nobody? I'm interested why Michael Conley did not let Harry tell Mattel who he was. He just said, everybody counts. I wonder, that's on my list. So, Mr. Conley, when you hear this, I hope you keep them keeping a list of all my questions I'm going to ask you. But I really, really, really want to know why Michael Connolly did not write, you killed my mom or something like that. But I, you know, but hey, listeners, he's a snake. So I got my eyes on you, Michael Connolly, because I know something's going to happen. And yeah, I'm, I got my eyes on you. So Bosch tried to be sneaky. He tried bluff a little bit. So now what's left? Gal. So then we see Bosch trying to deploy a little bit of Gal by telling Mattel, well, you know, I left my briefcase at Conklin's. And when the police find that briefcase, they're going to come up here looking for you. Gal seems to work a little bit on Mattel because when he did that, Bosch yelled. And then Mattel orders John to silence Bosch. And by doing so, Bosch then goes forward again to fight or flight. He then takes the billiard ball and slams it into John's head. Michael Connie also gives us an example of who Harry Bosch is at his core. Because as Michael Connie wrote, he heard a popping sound as the cue ball was hitting Jonathan's head. And he stopped. He stopped hitting him. Now, I don't know about you. I, I'm hoping that I would be that magnanimous, but remember, the dude had a splatter suit on. He had hit Bosch over the head with a tire iron. He just told Bosch, yeah, if you puke, I'm going to make you lick it up uh, with your tongue. Yeah, I don't know if I could be that magnanimous and, and stop beating this guy's head because if, if it's things were opposite or things were reversed, I'm pretty sure this guy would not be so lenient on me. But that's the type of guy Harry Bosch is because I don't think he kills just to kill and given the opportunity, he knows how to stop. 
So after Bosch incapacitates Jonathan, Mattel takes off running and Bosch runs after him. And then Mattel jumps Bosch on the cliff and they struggle. And Mattel is thrown over the cliff into a, a swimming pool down below and is instantly killed. But Bosch did something that he had to wonder within himself why'd he do it from the book. Linda, don't come out. Just call the police. Tell them there's a body in a hot tub. Then the man looked up the hillside and Bosch backed away from the edge. Immediately, he wondered why he had the instinctive reaction to hide. Me too. I wonder what Bosch was thinking why he hid. Now, I actually, you know, in preparation for this podcast, I thought about it. And maybe somewhere deep down, he had started to chalk up all the bodies that have been stacking up since he started his investigation. So did Bosch back away from the cliff? Because I just gave him props for stopping with Johnny, but did he actually stop with Mattel? Could he have incapacitated Mattel without throwing him over the cliff? Because even Michael Conley wrote that he was stronger and younger than Mattel, and he did have a gun. Did he have to throw him over the edge of the cliff? Again, I'm, that's going to be one of my little questions I'm going to ask Michael Conley. I think because he actually felt guilty for throwing Mattel over the cliff because it was out of revenge. Now, as I say that, It does kind of bear true because shortly thereafter, Bosch walks back up to the mansion or Mattel's place looking for Jonathan. And in route up there, he's having a discussion with himself because as he was walking back, he pushes out the guilt of Pounds, Conklin, knowing that sometimes he's going to have to deal with these feelings. And I think, and we also know it's going to be, he said it himself, he is and Harry said it himself, He's going to have to pay a price for pounds and probably somewhat for Conklin too. So feeling guilty for those two individuals, is that why he backed away from the cliff? Okay, okay. Now, did you guys, what type of reader are you guys? Because I have to be honest with you. All this happened in chapter 42. And then I'm like, wait a minute, there's like nine more chapters to go. He just killed Mattel. I mean, and then I start getting that feeling like, oh, shit, he did it again. Because what else has to happen? I mean, shouldn't this be the end of the book? You know, maybe he'll go back to Dr. Noho and maybe he'll get himself back together or whatever. There's a multitude of things that could happen. And there's nine chapters to go. And again, that feeling like he's got me. What the hell else could happen to Harry? And I have to admit, I couldn't wait. I flipped through the end <laughs> to see exactly, especially this book, exactly what I was in store for. So I cheated. I did cheat. I have to admit, my hands up, don't shoot. I cheated. And we see Michael Conley just adds to the multitude of passages and quotes and poems and admonishments about vengeance and being vengeful. From the book, he waited for the feeling of satisfaction and triumph that he knew was supposed to come with vengeance accomplished. But none of that came for him. He only felt hollow and tired. And that brings us to this episode's question of the day. And the question of the day is taken from the last Coyote chapters 42 through 45. While recuperating from his encounter with Mattel, Bosch contemplates the possibility that Marjorie Lowe, his mother, might not have been in love with Conklin as he loved her. From the book, that love may have been nothing to do with it at all on her part. That was only an opportunity an opportunity to get Harry out of McLaren, an opportunity to leave the prostitution business. Question, do you believe Marjorie Lowe loved Arnold Conklin? Yes or no? And before I give the 
statistics of the breakdown, yes or no. First, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for everyone who participated in the poll, taking the time to give your feedback and time, especially before in this time of this whole pandemic we're dealing with. So thank you so much. But let me just read a couple of comments. One, someone wrote, maybe not a deep love, but in her own way, I think she did. Another individual said, just for reading that book, from what I remember, it was just to get Harry back with her. <laughs> and, you know, as of the recording of this podcast, 70% of you said, nah, she didn't love him. <laughs> While 30% of you said she did love him. <laughs> Boy, I tell you, I love my listeners. You guys are hardcore. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. The soft side of me said, yes, she loved him, especially the guy held a torch for Marjorie Lowe for such a long time. But the police side of me says, nah, she didn't love him. Uh, she was in it just to get Harry out of McLaren. So I'm doing this because I know and I'm suspicious of Michael Conley. <laughs> so he's a snake. I told you guys, he's a snake. So it's really easy to you know, fall into the trap of the, the prince and the princess, the Cinderella story. It's easy to fall into that trap. You know, hell, we all been conditioned uh, to think that since we were kids reading uh, Disney, reading those books. So it's easy to fall into that trap. But, uh, okay, I just got to be honest. Yeah, 70% of you, I'm going to have to agree with you, 70%. I think it was just uh, a way to get Harry out of McLaren. She would do anything to get him out. And this is one of her ways that she can possibly get him out of McLaren. So that being said, Let's uh, go back to hitting the streets. And as we come out of the uh, the break, let's take a time to recognize that, okay, we're on our fourth book. And out of the four books that we've read so far, two of them have Bosch in the hospital. <laughs> and then in both of those books, we have him have some type of encounter with Irving. And so, you know, you, again, listeners, you've been listening to me enough now. We know how Michael Connolly is, and there's always a big reveal with Bosch. Or not, I wouldn't say reveal. Let me clean it up. A big clash with Bosch and Irving when Bosch is in the hospital. So Irving tells Bosch that, hey, you know, you told the patrol people that the guy named Jonathan, um, Mattel had a Jonathan Vaughn working for him, and they were unable to locate him. He's supposed to be Mattel's personal valet with no record. And then we see Bosch wanting to tell the story of what happened, how he ended up at Mattel's and Conklin's tonight. And Irvin does something. Irvin says, hey, do, don't you want to get a chance to clear your head? You know, the doctors say, you know, you took a big blow to the head. Might want to wait a day. And Bosch said, no, no, no. I want, I want to talk about it. I want to talk about it. But I, did you guys, I started picking up on, my spider senses was going off a little bit. Because Irving was talking to Bosch without anyone present. And he did something that was quite, unirving like well first he kept saying harry 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 are you okay harry 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 you know to me it was disarming harry a little bit and then he says you know first you know he cleared harry right off the top said hey look yeah we know you didn't do anything with conklin the guard said you had left way before conklin went out the window so you were clear with that and then irving continued to do something kind of crazy is he mirandized harry without having the card hmm. Like, okay, then why Mirandize him at all? I mean, it's just he said, he said, you know, and push came to shove. I mean, at the end of the day, if Harry was so inclined, he could say, where's the car? Where was I Mirandized? But Irving Mirandized Bosch, but didn't have a Miranda card. Again, I'm like, okay, Irving is not dumb. He's very smart. He really, he's really politically savvy. Why is he doing this? from the book. It's just a procedure, so it doesn't look like we're cutting any slack on one of our own. 
You got to remember, you were at two places tonight and both took a big fall. It doesn't look good. So while Bosch is telling the story, Michael Conley lets you guys see, you know, we've always been talking about bad cops and, you know, throughout all of Bosch's books so far, except for The Concrete Blonde, I guess. But the other three books, we can see how the blue, the badge is tarnished. And it's sometimes TV shows, even books make it seem easy, but it really is usually not night and day. It's usually one little slip that then the other slip and then the other one. So then it keeps going down. It's this whole trickle effect. It's like the snowball that keeps going down the hill. It's getting bigger and bigger. Michael Conley gives you guys again, a glimpse of how easy it is for a public official and or law enforcement personnel to be compromised from the book. See, if Conklin knew that it was a pay-to-play sort of thing, he would have walked away. He was the top county vice commando. He would have walked away. So he didn't know who Fox was either? Irving asked. That's what he said. If you find that hard to take, then the alternative is harder that this prosecutor openly consorted with these type of people. So I'm going to go with Arnold's story. He didn't know. And that's exactly the point I want to, I'm making here, is he was compromised. Unwittingly, he was compromised. And Johnny Fox knew he could go and dig into Conklin and get something out of it, some political or some type of favor out of it. And hell, we see it. When he got called in for Marjorie Lowe's um, murder, Conklin and Mattel acted like they were his uh, defense attorneys. So you see just how tenuous and how easy it is to be turned. And remember, Michael Conley brought this up in the Black Echo. So remember, back in Black Echo, Bosch knew Metals, Billy Metals. And when he found out that he knew metals. He immediately told Edgar and that telling Edgar saved Bosch because most people was like, well, maybe people won't make the connection, but you never know. And the mere fact that Harry told somebody that, yeah, I knew this guy in Vietnam cleared Harry from any improprieties. And again, something like that happened to me. I was assisting on a big investigation. And the target of investigation happened to associate third party with a family member of mine. And I knew this target of investigation, third party. Well, as soon as I found out about it, man, matter of fact, it was in the briefing. You know, before we took on an investigation, we went over all the particular aspects of the case, the target of investigation, what was the uh, information we got with some witnesses and, and investigative methods to take down this particular person. Well, when they put the person's name up and the picture up on the board, like, shit. And in front of everybody, I would raise, I raised my hands like, what's going on, Phil? I know that guy. And everyone looked at me like, how do you know that guy? And you got to explain it. And see, right then and there, by you knowing and telling your, your supervisors and your coworkers that you know this person, then that kind of then puts you in a better light. Now, and cause so then everyone knew, hey, just for uh, appearance sake, anything that happens with this particular portion of the investigation, Phil, you're not going to be involved in. <laughs> I appreciate that. I have no problem with that. I'm not mad about that. Uh, thank you for understanding. And so that's how, again, that's a long story. That's a long diatribe. But again, Michael Connolly lets you guys see how easy it is to slip and to be compromised because Arnold got compromised and he didn't even know it. And we see Irving did something else that even Bosch had picked up on that Irving had said, well, yeah, I know what happened when it came to why and how Pounds was killed from the book. Christ, Pounds? I, yes, I know what happened. Irving interrupted. Bosch looked over at him. You do? We interviewed everyone in the squad. Edgar told me that he made some computer runs for you on Fox. My only conclusion is that Pounds either overheard or somehow got wind of it. 
I think he was monitoring what your close associates were doing for you after you got on ISL. He then must have took further steps and stumbled into Mattel and Vaughn. He ran DMV traces on the parties involved. I think he got back to Mattel. He had connections that would have warned him. Bosch was silent. He wondered if Irvin really believed that scenario or if he was signaling to Bosch that he knew what really happened and was letting it go by. So, what Irving is doing here is what we call the finger fuck. And let me explain to you what the finger fuck is. When you have a witness and you put a six-pack together and you want the witness to identify the particular suspect. Now, I know what happens. I'm just giving you guys what can happen on the street, what criminal investigators could do. Matter of fact, hell, I'm not disclosing anything that didn't happen. They, they showed it on the wire back in 2002. So I'm not giving up any big secrets. But the finger fuck is you have a six-pack of suspects who you think did the crime, and you want to show the particular six-pack to an eyewitness. Now, the eyewitness pretty much got everything down packed. And the only thing you need as a criminal investigator is for the eyewitness to put point of finger to the target of investigation or who you believe did the case, who did it. So very silently, but extremely subjectively, you first laid a predicate for, look, what we need from you is just to identify who the person is. We have a person in custody. We really are sure that he's the person, he or she is the person. But the only thing we need to put the cherry on the top is for you to make a positive ID. So what I'm going to do is show you a photo array and just say the corresponding number of the individual who you saw commit the crime. And then when you lay it down, you lay it down and you just hold your finger over or tap your finger on the photo who you have the person in custody or you, who you believe did it. Very subjective. Nothing overt. But you laid the groundwork for the uh, witness to feel how important it is for this witness to identify the bad guy. And then you subjectively finger fuck the photo array. And then once you finger fuck the photo array, you walk away and then you leave it up to that person to get the hint. And most people do get the hint. Now, I've never done that. And I've heard of it happening. And I'm just going to move on from there. And, you know, then we see the next day, Bosch accepting guilt, where really is not guilt to be placed, not his guilt to accept. But, you know, I got a Michael Gully before by having the instrument the belt that Bosch gave his mother as being the instrument that killed her. Now it appears as though the mere fact of her trying to get Bosch out of McLaren and her association with Conklin was another element that possibly got her killed. I mean, Michael Conley is just crushing Harry Bosch right now. I mean, he really is. You know, God damn, Michael, how much more can Harry take right now? Because, you know, it's some loose fashion, Harry wants to take on the responsibilities of everything to concern his mom, which really a lot of things were not in his control. I don't perceive him thinking that using Pounds as badge would cause Pounds to lose his life. And then his subsequent investigation would cause Conklin to be thrown out the window. I don't think, but, you know, our choices do have consequences. And the mere fact Harry was going to be unstoppable trying to figure out who killed his mother. Consequences be damned. Obosh gets a call from Jasmine, and she says, hey, you know, Irving gave her Bosch's number, knew he was upset. And we see Michael Conley reveals that you got to do a little bit more digging. You can't just accept information on face value. And what I mean by that, because remember, you know, Lieutenant Brockman pretty much told Harry that, yeah, Jazz is a killer. How does it feel to be one killer, fuck another killer, and all that kind of stuff? And, but we see, yeah, Jasmine killed the guy she was living with only after he had tried to rape her for the second time in one night. And so, again, Michael Connolly is teaching you guys, you got to dig a little bit. 
don't believe what's on the surface. Dig a little bit more. Check other facts before you make your judgment. We then see Harry as being Harry, being restless. And he makes a number of phone calls to include Keisha Russell. And Keisha tells him that the department's throwing the shroud over this investigation. And we see Harry temper growing. And then he decides to tell Keisha everything, which, again, right now, Harry's like, you know what? Fuck it. You know, I'm tired of everyone covering up what happened. I'm tired of my mom not counting. So if I lose my job, I don't give a damn. So after Bosch gives Keisha this story, Keisha calls Irving, and then Irving calls Bosch and said, did you talk to a reporter? He said, yeah, I did. I talked to one. And he orders Bosch to call her back and recant the story. But now, he went from calling Harry Harry the day before to now calling him Bosch. Bosch this, Bosch this, Bosch that. And so you, you start, it's like, okay, at least for me, as you remember, I gave Irving, especially in a couple of times in this book, and then last book, I gave him my everyone counts or no one counts person for the number of things he was doing in those books. Now I'm starting to wonder, <laughs> was I too? Did he get me too? Did he suck me in? This goddamn Michael Conley, did he suck me in with the character of Chief Irving? Because we see Irving throws a number of threats out to Bosch, considering the whole truth, quote unquote, about how Pounds was killed and Harry's involvement. And you know, again, I was so willing to give Chief Irving the benefit of the doubt. But you know what? Michael Conley told us who he was in the Black Echo. He said it, you know, the first time when Harry was in the hospital in the Black Echo after being shot from the book, The Black Echo. You're good at what you do, Detective Bosch. Everyone knows that. But that doesn't mean you're a good police officer. You refuse to be part of the family. And that is not good. And in the meantime, you see, I have a department to protect. To me, that's the most important job in the world. And one of the best ways to do that is control public opinion. Keep everyone happy. That's exactly what we see Irving's doing right now. He's doing exactly what he thinks is most important for the department. Because let's go back. Mattel was a big influence. He was an influencer, a big mover and shaker. He said it himself. He dealt with other people's problems. He had a lot of important clients in the state and in the country. So do Irving, the pragmatist that he is, do he out Mattel or did he garner favors from all those important people to keep it hush hush? And we see he's telling Harry back in the Black Echo, telling us that's what he feels is the most important portion of the job. And, you know, I do understand somewhat of what Irving is, Irving's talking about. Because, again, I've told you throughout this journey we've been on that I can't do my job without the citizens' buy-in to help me out. And you have to be able to trust me for me to be able to do my job. So what Irving's saying is he'd rather throw a funeral for some dumb cops who got in trouble or cover up what Mattel was doing so he can garner favors later on down the line to protect the police department. And if the only cost is not to solve a 20-year-old murder, then what's the harm, what's the foul? And there is a fine line. But to me, I don't subscribe to that. I think that let's shine a light on issues like that. Now, again, you got to protect the brand, you got to protect the badge, because I do need public buy-in. But sooner or later, like I said earlier, it becomes this snowball, this pebble going down the hill, this, this snowball, it, be, it starts out small and then it just keeps snowballing bigger and bigger. And then you're covering up more and more and more. And where does it stop? It's a slippery slope. And I get it. And I think right now, Irving is on the wrong side of protecting the badge, protecting the brand. 
again, just like in the Black Echo, once again, we see Bosch leaves the hospital without the doctor's consent. <laughs> I mean, again, that's why we like Michael Conley, because Michael Conley has no problem weaving in consistencies when it comes to our characters that we love. And one of Harry's consistencies is that, yeah, I don't give a damn what the doctors say. I'm out of here. <laughs> and he does that a lot. And as we wrap up this episode, when Harry gets out of the hospital, he takes a drive by his house and he goes up to the house and it's demolished. And when I read that portion of the book, I felt as though a character had been killed, like a lovable character that we knew, Harry's sidekick, his partner. So much has happened in that house. That was the place where Bosch did his best investigative work. You know, I told you, bring your work home, studying it over and over again, laying all the paperwork out. That's a place where you can go to your kind of your fortress, your fortress of solitude, you know, make a comic book uh, reference here. And for it to be gone, wow. I mean, it just it hit me hard. It, it kind of hit me hard. And again, just the brilliance of Michael Connolly, you know, what he said in the, you know, uh, in the book, it was kind of like a, um, a tooth missing a, in a smile. You know, it was like, wow. You know, it just hit me really hard that the house was gone from the book. He spent another 10 minutes there smoking a cigarette and waiting. But he saw nothing else. He then said a silent goodbye to the place. He had a feeling that he wouldn't be back. And that gets us to this episode's Everyone Counts or No One Counts Person. And my Everyone Counts or No One Counts Person for the last Coyote chapters 42 through 45 is Arnold Conklin. <laughs> you know, so I had Arnold Conklin last week, or last episode, excuse me. And even though he's dead, Bosch makes a note to say to Irving, quote unquote, it took balls for him to do what he was trying to do with his mother, you know, to throw away a promising career for what he thought was love and to just chuck it all. And he even said a, a couple of good lines. Hey, it doesn't make a difference what that special person is or that special person's past. If you find that one person, hold on to them tight. Don't let them go. And I kind of like that sentiment from um, Arnold because there is always that one person, and I implore everybody, if you find that one person, hold on to them because it doesn't make a difference what their past is because I do truly believe in a once-in-a-lifetime love. So that's my bleeding open heart there. You know, So my everyone counts or no one counts person for The Last Coyote chapters 42 through 45 posthumously is Arnold Conklin. Clues chapters 42 through 45, review of The Last Coyote. Thanks a lot, guys. This is a really trying time for this country and this world. And I hope that this podcast gives you guys as much as it's giving me to give back right now to hopefully provide some little entertainment as we all deal with this coronavirus. So I say it all the time. 
Thanks for hanging in there with me. We're going to make it through together as a country, as a world. So continue, continue, continue to reach out on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please, 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 please continue to rate us five stars or better. And those comments, 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 I really, I usually don't give people's names because I don't ask for uh, permission, but I got some great comments concerning the podcast saying that podcast was helping people through the coronavirus um, pandemic. So comments like that, let me know that I'm doing the right thing and I'm moving in the right direction. So please continue those comments because they're valuable and I appreciate you guys' feedback. And again, you know me, positive or negative, and uh, those comments and the feedback are working because we're growing. And I know we're growing because you're telling your friends and family about the podcast. So please continue to do that. Also, again, don't forget to join us at www.thethinbluelinepod for more investigative content where you will find a more detailed experience concerning Michael Conley and Harry Bosch. So next up on the Thin Blue Line podcast, we will continue our deep dive into The Last Coyote, chapters 46 through 49. I'm Philip Parker, and I'm 10-7 for the remainder. <laughs>